0: You know, as you have uh, gotten to know different people, you know that some people tend to be uh, more optimistic than others. You, know, you have optimists, you have uh, pessimists, you have realists, you have warriors and planners and opportunists and whatnot. I heard a funny saying the other day. It said, uh, "While the uh, op- the optimist and the uh, pessimist were arguing over, you know, whether the glass was." half full of water or half empty, uh, the opportunist enjoyed a half glass of water. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of labels we can put on people. And we have all these simple ways we try to categorize people. And we know that doesn't really do justice to the complex, complexity of the human personality. But the reason we have these little labels is because there's some truth to them. And I think we all tend to lean one way or the other. Some of us tend to be more optimistic. And some of us tend to be more pessimistic. And my question this morning is that, you know, I wonder if having faith in Christ, if that influences at all how we view life and our circumstances. I mean, should should faith in Jesus have any type of uh, effect on our reaction to circumstances and how we kind of perceive life? And this morning we're gonna we're gonna start a series on the idea of faith. And in order to get a better understanding of faith, we're going to walk through the chap- chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And what we're going to do is walk through verse by verse, and we're going to take stops along the way as the author introduce us, introduces us to these historic uh, people of faith. <clears throat> and then we're going to stop and look at how they reacted to different circumstances and how God worked in their situation. But this morning, we're going to start by looking at Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, starting in verse 32 through chapter 11, verse 3. And this will help give us some context of the study that we're entering into. And I think also we'll see a pattern that the author is going to use as he walks through the different examples of faith through Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11. (coughs) Excuse me. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32. And we're going to go through chapter 11, verse 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you and use that one there. So starting in chapter 10, verse 32, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And like I mentioned before, I think in this passage, the author gives us a pattern that he's going to use all throughout the chapter. And the pattern is this. He's going to take us to a moment of crisis. And then he's going to help us to understand the faith that sustains us through that crisis. And then he's going to highlight the faithfulness of God. And so let's look at the crisis that he's addressing in this passage. In verses 32-38, through the Christians, they're faced with a decision to either stand firm in their confidence in Christ or shrink back and throw away their confidence. And he reminds the Hebrew Christians that, you know, you have a reputation of standing firm. And so he's going to try to encourage them to continue standing firm in Christ. So look at verses 32 and 34 again. He says, "But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one." And so we see that these Christians, they've experienced crisis before. And what I mean by crisis is I mean this, you, you enter into a situation where your confidence, your trust in God is put in a very vulnerable position. And you can either continue trusting in God or shrink back and, and like the author says, throw away your confidence in God. Your confidence is shaken. And so we see that these Hebrew Christians, they've, they've experienced crisis before in their lives. You know, it says that they have, they have been publicly exposed to a reproach and affliction. It says that they have demonstrated not only compassion toward their fellow Christians who were in prison, most likely bringing them food and drink. In other words, they were identifying themselves with Christians who were in prison because of their faith. And it also says that they, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. And so they have a history of, you know, opposition... But also, you're standing firm in the confidence of God. So in the midst of this current crisis, this letter is written to them to encourage them to stand firm in Christ in the promises of God. Now, we have not experienced that level of oppression because of our faith. At least I doubt we have. Uh, I don't know how many people have plundered you of your property or held you out publicly and reproached you and, you know, and afflicted you. Because you're Christians, and so maybe we haven't undergone that method of affliction, but we've all had these crises nonetheless so let me let me ask you this you know when you when you face difficulty when you face difficulty you know some moment of crisis, how do you respond and what i 'm thinking about is you know, when you face those moments where your faith in God is challenged. And the question really comes in your mind, you know, am I going to trust God in this situation? Or am I going to pull back and have my trust shaken? <clears throat> and another question you can ask yourself is, You know what, what tends to strip you of faith? What, what tends to thin out that faith that you have in God? You know, is it is it illness? You know, when the illness strikes, or you become uh, sick, or you have bad health, you begin to really question God's promises, question His intention for you. Or maybe it's you know, a death of a loved one. It's, it's such a traumatic event that can definitely challenge our faith in God. Will will we move forward in confidence or not? Or it could, it could be you know, financial challenges you walk into you know, that come upon you for different reasons. And you ask yourself, you know, God, what are you doing? And you have this temptation to shy away from Him instead of walking with Him in confidence. Or maybe it's a job challenge or uncertainty. Or maybe it's a betrayal of your friends. You, know, you thought they were your friends. You thought they would treat you well. You thought this friendship would be a certain way and yet they betray you. And it can shake you, even in your confidence in God. Or maybe it's in your family. You know, when you were growing up, you imagined your life would be a certain way. Maybe uh, you imagined being a certain age, or you'd be in this stage of life by this certain age, or you'd be uh, you have you'd be married, or you'd have children or grandchildren by this certain age, and you just pictured it in your mind that, you know, you'd grow up, you have this job, you'd have this family, you'd have this relationship with your spouse or with your friends or with your brother or sister. Or you'd have this, this type of relationship with your children as you're older, your grandchildren, and yet life just hasn't worked out that way. And it can shake you in your confidence in God's promises and who He is. You know, God, what are you doing? You know, maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at. But whatever it is that truly tempts you and really pushes you to... to that point where you you have to wonder will i will i continue in the faith and confidence in god or will i shrink back and like the author says throw away my confidence whatever that is for you that's your moment of crisis and we have many of these throughout our lives that really challenge us in our faith and and really challenge us in whether or not we'll go forward with christ or not i want to tell you a story about one young lady uh, an 18 year old young lady that experienced a moment like this uh, just over a month ago. Her name's Bonnie Kate and I want to read you a short account of what happened to her. It says, In the midst of the darkness and chaos of the Aurora, Colorado shooting last month, one 18-year-old woman lay on the ground, her knee completely shattered by a stray bullet from the gun of the shooting's sole suspect, James Holmes. While bullets continued to fall around her, Bonnie Kate, prayed desperately for her life to be spared. Ultimately, the young woman's prayer was heard and she escaped with her life. However, she has since undergone numerous reconstructive surgeries that have left her bedridden in excruciating pain. But despite the difficulty that Bonnie Kate has been through, she told lifesightnews.com in a telephone interview last week that she has made the choice to forgive the man that the world has condemned as a heartless psychopathic monster and wishes simply that she could embrace him and tell him that hope and forgiveness are still available to him. She says, "When I was shot in the midst of all the chaos, I didn't really think of the shooter as a person as someone who was trying to kill me," said Bonnie Kate. "But later as I saw him on TV, I just wanted to cry. I felt so much for this man who was so broken." who doesn't know the hope that we Christians have, who doesn't understand the mercy of God, and who doesn't know Jesus. To that broken man, Bonnie Kate says, yeah, I do forgive him, I do. I'm in a lot of pain, and it's hard, but I do forgive him. You know, for this young lady, that was definitely a moment of crisis for her, and it continues to be. But her confidence is in Christ and in God's promises, so much so that she's able to extend that same type of grace and mercy and forgiveness even to the person who shattered her knee by his bullets. You know, so the question comes to us you know, when we face such a crisis, will we we stand confidently in Christ and the promises of God, or will we shrink back? and throw away our confidence. And this is the question the writer of the Hebrews is asking. He's saying, when you get to this this crisis, this point of crisis, what will you do? And then he introduces us to a faith that sustains us through whatever we face in life. Look at uh, verses 34 through chapter 11, verse 1. and And what we're going to see here is we read about these Christians who endured such opposition and it says they even endured the plundering of their property joyfully. And so the question that comes to mind is how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you face a crisis joyfully? How do you walk through something like that? Well, he's going to tell us in these verses. Verse 34 says, "...for you had compassion on those in prison." But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He's saying, the reason they were able to endure such opposition is because their hope was not wrapped up in the things of the world, but rather their hope was tethered to something that would endure for eternity. And so his logic is that we can endure the loss of certain things because we gain an inheritance of greater things if we persevere in the faith. So if you are anticipating greater things, then when you lose the lesser things, you can endure it and even endure it joyfully. You know, an early church father, Clement of Alexandria, defined faith like this. He said, faith is... Voluntary anticipation. And I like that definition. Here. Voluntary anticipation. In other words, it is this, this living out of the idea of God is at work. He's going to do something. And eventually He's going to do something completely in that He's going to bring in His kingdom and Christ is King. And so what is this idea of a better possession? You know, if we, if we endure to the end with faith we inherit this greater possession. What is that? Well, that greater possession is Christ in the kingdom of God. And we see this in verses 7, 37 and 38 when he quotes the, the prophet Habakkuk. And this passage that he's going to quote here is from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And he, equ- he quotes it in verses 37 and 38 in chapter 10 of Hebrews. He says, Get a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So he says, in a little while the coming one will come. Well, who is he talking about there? Well, Habakkuk's talking about the deliverer, the Messiah. He will come and he will deliver God's people. He will usher in God's kingdom. And so the writer of Hebrews takes that prophecy and brings it into his writing and says, yes, He will come. He's already come once and He's going to come again. And so He's putting their hope in the fact that Christ will come again. He says, My coming one will come and He will fulfill the promises of God. And then in verse 39 it says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we see it's not those who shrink back that inherit the greater possession, but those who preserve their souls by persevering in faith in Christ. And you know, when you face difficulties, it's hard. It's hard to confidently walk with God, trust God in the midst of all the things that life throws at you. I mean, it is difficult. You know, for example, there's this man, you know, he fell off the cliff and as he was falling, he grabbed onto a, a branch of a tree, and he's just hanging on, you know, by one arm, by you know, by dear, you know, for dear life, he's just hanging there. And so, as he's hanging there, he just cries out. And he says, "Is anyone up there?" And then he hears a voice, and he says, "I'm here. I'm the Lord. Do you believe me?" And the man says, "Yes, Lord, I believe you. I truly believe you, but I can't hang on." onto this branch forever. And then the Lord says, well, if you if you believe me, you have nothing to worry about. I'll save you. Just let go of the branch. And a little time passes and the man, the man says, is there anyone else up there? Because <laughs> sometimes it's hard. It's hard. Just like Bob was talking about. We don't always see God at work. We don't... It's hard to know what He's doing sometimes. And so when you are slam up against your crisis. It's hard to trust Him sometimes. It's hard to know what He's doing. And sometimes we want to yell is there anybody else out there that we can trust or we can have confidence in? Because I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've, you've, you've demonstrated confidence before. God is at work. He's doing something. Sometimes it's hard to see, but He is, he is at work. He is doing something. And it will be those who persevere in their faith that will inherit this greater possession. So we know that it's those who persevere in faith that will inherit the greater possession. Now the question is, what is faith? We saw one definition already. It's you know, a voluntary anticipation, but can we learn anything else about what faith is from this passage and I think we can by looking at chapter 11 verse 1. The author says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And according to this verse it's, it's this idea of we, we can live today in this moment. With the assurance that what God has promised he will do. And so it's this idea that because God is faithful and true and good and He's able to complete what He starts, then if He said He's going to do something, then we can live today as if He will do it. As if it's guaranteed. And so this idea of faith being the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know, there is this... It just Faith is this assurance that God is at work. And that God is going to redeem even the crisis that you're facing. You know it's, this assurance is, is just whispering to the Christian that God is working, God is working. He's still here. He's going to complete what he started in you. He hasn't left you. It's just whispering that over and over into your ear, so that you will confidently face the crisis. And you would trust in the promises of God. You know, this, this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, there's this deep-seated conviction confidence that God is there and He's at work, and He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And so this author, he has shown us that we all face crisis. And in that moment of crisis, there is a faith that sustains us. And at the very end of this passage, he's going to, give us two examples of the power and faithfulness of God. And the reason he does that is he does that to show us that our faith is not just fickle or it's not just wishful thinking, but our faith is actually grounded in someone who has the power and and he's willing and able to complete what he started. And so if you look at verses 2 and 3, we see these two examples In verse 2 it says, For by it, talking about faith, for by faith the people of old received their commendation. That's the first example. And the second is, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we see two examples. One is, he's given us the examples of all those who have gone before us who have persevered in the faith. And we're going to be looking at each of those throughout the next several weeks. And then the second example he gives us, comes from Genesis chapter 1. He takes us all the way back to the creation of the world. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And like I said, I think he's going back to Genesis chapter 1 in the first few verses here. and He's referencing the fact that God made all things. And this is what it says in the book of Genesis. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. You know, many in our culture today are trying to discover the origin of the universe within the universe itself. But as Christians, we believe that God made that which is visible from that which was not visible. He made something out of nothing. And so we believe the world came into existence by the Word of God. Now, why is he referencing this example, the creation of the world, to encourage these Hebrew Christians to persevere in the faith and have confidence in Christ? Well, I think we can learn at least this from from this uh, reference. One is that when you're in the midst of the crisis, it can be dark. And it can seem very chaotic. And I think what he's saying here is just like God spoke light into the darkness when He created the world, so He will speak light into the darkness that you're facing. And just like God made something out of nothing, God can make something out of whatever you're dealing with and whatever you're going through. God is able... To redeem the situation, he's able to redeem the crisis. Yeah, you know, Corey Ten Boom, She said that when when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw down the ticket and jump off the train, but rather you sit still and you trust the engineer. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you face your crisis, whatever it may be, and we all face them, many of you may be facing one right now. When you face the crisis, he's saying there is a faith that sustains you, and it's a faith in the promises of God that are found in Christ. So God is able to redeem our current crisis and sustain us to the end. I think he's also telling us, just like God spoke the creation into existence, demonstrating great power, that we have access to that same type of power that can sustain our trust in Him both now and throughout eternity. That this is the God we're trusting in. So I think it's true. If, if what the writer of Hebrews is saying is true, then surely if you're a Christian... Then you should be at some, just to some degree, an optimist. Right? I mean, you should at least have some positive outlook on life, regardless of your circumstance. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying your faith's not going to be challenged. But if you believe, like the writer of Hebrews, that those who persevere in faith will receive a greater inheritance. That God is at work. He's doing great things in the world. He's going to complete what He started. Perhaps there should be at least some thread of optimism in your life. Hopefulness. Assurance that God is at work and He'll complete what He starts. You know, life is a lot like an ocean. You know, Sometimes in the ocean the waves are large and the currents strong. Sometimes they're small and the currents weak. And that's one of the most mesmerizing things about the ocean. If you've ever just sat there and watched the waves come in and out, in and out, over and over, never ending, it is truly mesmerizing. Because they're always present. There are always these waves. There's always the current. They just may differ in size and strength. And I think that's the way life is. I mean, life is full of waves and it's full of a current. And so the question is, when the the waves of life crash against you, and the pillar of your faith, when it crashes against you and the current tries to pull you away from placing your confidence in God and His promises, what will you do? I mean, will you just allow it to just take you out? Or will you dig your faith down deep into the bedrock of God's promises in Christ? And I think this is what we see here in this passage. I think the writer of Hebrew is encouraging these first century Christians. The crisis you're facing, God is enough for you. And He can get you through this. And then He's going to walk us through a number of individuals that have faced different types of crises in their lives. And He's going to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and how it helped them move through their their crisis as well. So my prayer is for us this morning... That we would not only endure life, just make it through, but we would actually make it through and endure life joyfully. Because our hope and our trust is in the confidence, and our confidence is in God and what He can do, and not on just what we can do. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and how it speaks truth to us, how it speaks light into our dark situations. Lord, many of us are facing unknowns, uncertainties. Maybe there are some fearful circumstances looming ahead. God, I just pray that each of us would find our confidence in who You are and not in who we are or who those around us are or the state of our country or our world, but our confidence would be firmly planted in what Christ has done and what You have said You will do. Lord, I pray that our faith would be strengthened over the next several weeks as we look at Your people and how they have trusted You through a number of different circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.